Welcome to Stories of Iceland. Iceland has entered a new wave of COVID-19. It seems that we opened the country up too early. In the weeks and months preceding this second wave, I was always on my way to buy a mask, just in case. But it is still so uncommon in Iceland that I thought I would never wear it. Then when the new wave started, which is not as fun as the 80s music wave by the same name, I ordered a couple of reusable masks which have not arrived yet. Iceland has not gone into full mask mode. The authorities say that certain situations require them, but the message is quite vague. So the Reykjavik bus company declared that no one could enter a bus without a mask, and then promptly changed their mind and said no one was required to wear a mask. The day before I recorded this episode, we were in a kind of pre-quarantine since a friend of the family had been sick and was waiting for her test results. Luckily, it was not the coronavirus. Well, enough of COVID-19 for today. In this episode, I have to use the word scythe repeatedly. I'm always a bit frustrated by the spelling. From what I understand, it was corrupted by writers who thought it was a Latin word, while it is in fact an old English word. Icelandic has a related word, sigth, which actually means sickle, as in hammer and sickle, rather than a scythe. Speaking of spelling and pronunciation, it was pointed out to me that when I said Edinburgh, I sounded American. Maybe this is because the city has an Icelandic name, Edinburgh. But I really, truly do know how to say it like the Scottish do. I have visited the city twice, climbed Arthur's seat, visited the castle, and bought a kilt which I wore when I graduated with a master's degree in folklore. The city is called Edinburgh. If I'm not doing it right, then I do blame the man who taught me how to say it. Professor Gary West of the University of Edinburgh. He is also a world-famous bagpipe player. Before I start my story, I should note that this is a bloody episode, which includes gruesome death. So kids should maybe skip this one. If you want to help me focus more of my energy towards this podcast, please support me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all of my supporters, especially Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams, and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. Though Patreon support has grown, I could really use some more. This episode, for instance, is one of the more labor-intensive. I had to go through troves of handwritten sources to double-check my facts. I had to ask my friends to help me read poorly written Paris records. I had to track down the meaning of archaic legal terms. Some of my work is also silent in this episode, since I mercilessly cut out stuff that I can't verify. I hope you think my hard work is worth it. I don't blame anyone for not supporting me. Many people are in a tough financial spot. But I am so thankful for those who do sign up. Please join them at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. 
even if it is just to donate a dollar or five dollars a month, it also means you get access to extra material. But this is Stories of Iceland, and this is episode 35, Was Murdered. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. Often when I look up sources about my ancestors, I know some nuggets from a story told to me by members of my family. Then there are times when I stumble upon things without any inkling about them. This is one of the latter examples. Many years ago I was going through a printout of a genealogy database, reading about my ancestors. When I came to a section about my three-times great-grandfather, a man named Stefan Jonsson, I was stunned. There was the usual data and dates. He was born in 1801 and died in 1852. He was a farmer here and a farmer there. Then a two-word sentence. Was murdered. In Icelandic we have a saying... If someone has no idea about something, we say that he or she is coming from the mountains. You could imagine someone who was at a mountain retreat when COVID hit, and was utterly flummoxed when they got the news that things were now so serious. Though my guess is that the Icelanders who were surprised when they came from the mountains and heard some news had not been relaxing. Anyway, when I read Was Murdered, I came from the mountains. My sister is usually much better in the genealogy than me, so I asked her. She also came from the mountains. Why hadn't somebody mentioned this to me, even in passing? I later asked my uncle, and he had never heard about this. Nobody seemed to know anything. I never asked my grandfather Gunthor about it. He was the quiet type. Maybe he was more of a talker before I was born. By the time I remember him, his hearing was already quite bad, and he ended up almost completely deaf. He had been a farmer for most of his working life, just outside Akureyri, before moving into town when he was in his fifties. I heard stories that besides farming, he did some work as an untrained barber for people living near him. When I was young, my grandfather worked in a smokehouse. I hope some of you have wild guesses about what one does in a smokehouse. Iceland has a tradition of smoked meat, especially smoked lamb. It was the best way to preserve the meat, and we still have a taste for it. So my grandfather usually smelled like smoked meat until he retired. I never disliked the smell, though it was sometimes a bit overpowering. While my grandfather was usually quiet, he had a great sense of humor. He would sit there and then inject these weird non-sequiturs into conversations. 
My prime example of this is when he commented, almost out of nowhere, that he had always been very happy with his feet. A bit of insight into why I never heard about his great-grandfather's murder comes from his father, Christian, my great-grandfather. As I do quite often, I was reading old newspapers, this time from the 1940s, when I saw an article about a horrible boating accident where Christian lost his foot. I asked three of his grandchildren about it, and only one of them had heard the story. These are people who knew him, and they didn't know anything about his foot. Since Christian didn't share with his grandchildren that he had lost his foot, it does not really come as a big surprise that he also didn't mention the fact that his own grandfather had been brutally murdered. In the years after reading the two-word summary of my ancestor's murder, I tried digging into it with almost no luck, until I was browsing through a book on the 19th century, and suddenly there was this whole section about the murder. It was sensationally titled The Man with the Sigh, which is the Icelandic version of the Grim Reaper. The most important part of finding this article was that it gave me clues to follow up and find earlier and fuller sources. When I dug deeper, I also understood why I had not found the information before by going through the usual sources. For reasons that will become clearer, the keywords for the court proceedings don't list the case as a murder, but rather as a suicide. The site of the murder came as a shock, a farm called Auslaugstadir. When I was 11 and 12, I lived in a house in the outskirts of Akureyri. I could just cross the street, and there were horses grazing on the other side of a fence. If I climbed over the fence, I could have walked for a few minutes to reach a farm, a farm called Auslaugstadir. It is strange to know that an ancestor of mine had lived and been murdered so close to where I lived. The police court was held on the 12th of August, 1852. There were two sessions that day, and then the case seems to have been closed. Witnesses were called, but nothing was really in dispute. The gut-wrenching, heartbreaking thing about the murder is reading the descriptions about the children of Auslaugstadir running to the next farm to get help, crying that Jonas Svensson was murdering their father. Stefan had 14 children with his wife, Anna Hallgrimsdottir. At least four of them had died young, and the sources are vague, but I do know that eight of their children were living at Auslaugstadir in 1852. The youngest of the children was not yet one years old. He was Christian Stefansson, my grandfather's grandfather. Stefan and his murderer Jonas were no strangers. They had grown up together. Jonas had even lived at Auslaugstadir and worked for Stefan until a short time before the murder. The court documents describe the events as follows. Jonas arrived at Auslaugstadir in the late afternoon on the 12th of August. He had with him his scythe and said he was on his way to work for a nearby farmer. He and Stefan sat down in the fields where the latter had been working. They talked 
about the weather. This is so mundane that it borders on the ridiculous. After a while, Yona stood up, seemingly to go on his way. But then he suddenly said, I wanted you to have this, you damned man, and swung his scythe into Stefan's back. Stefan managed to grab the scythe from Jonas before he could do any more damage. Jonas then walked away, took out a knife, and promptly slit his own throat. The children who were present ran off to get help. When a neighbor arrived, both men were still alive, though Jonas could not speak a word. Stefan, on the other hand, was conscious and could explain what had happened. A doctor was sent for and Stefan was carried into the farmhouse. Witnesses say that Stefan didn't feel much pain from the wound itself, but rather from the internal damage the attack had done. His time was clearly running out. He swore by God that he had not done anything to Jonas that could explain the attack. He died the next evening. The doctor also attended to Jonas and had him moved to his own home where he died from his self-inflicted wounds. When Jonas was laid to rest, the priest noted in his records that he had gotten official dispensation from the authorities to bury him inside the churchyard. The court also recorded that Jonas had been drinking before he went to Auslaugstadir. Witnesses confirmed that Jonas had claimed to have been on his way to honor a promise to work for a nearby farmer, who in turn denied that he had asked Jonas to work for him. So it seems quite clear that the murder was premeditated. Witnesses noted that, on the whole, Jonas was rather well behaved, unless he was drinking. He was also said to have been rather intelligent, a high praise in a society that often believed poor people were automatically stupid. They also added that he was rather odd, though it is difficult to understand what that was supposed to mean. Articles about the case often add details which I don't see in the primary sources. Jonas is, for example, said to have bought the knife he later used to kill himself on the day of the murder. He is also said to have spent some time sharpening his scythe before he wrote to Auslagstadir. These seem rather too sensational, though I can't dismiss them altogether. But now is the part when we get into the reason why speculation and gossip have been common in articles about the murder. While Jonas worked for Stefan at Auslagstadir, there was also a woman there named Austis Thorstensdottir. She was married, though she had not lived with her husband for some time. In April of 1852, her husband sued for divorce. Since Austis claimed to be in bad health, the divorce hearings were held at Auslagstadir. Divorce was not easily available in the mid-19th century, so officials had to be convinced that there were ample reasons for allowing it. The case against Austis was that two years before she had given birth to a stillborn child which her husband claimed wasn't his. It is also noted, though not highlighted, that Austis was quite obviously pregnant again. Austis claimed the stillborn child had in fact been her husband's. 
Then Jonas Sveinsson was called as a witness. He claimed that she had confided in him that the real father of the stillborn child had in fact been their employer, Stefan Jonsson. Austis denied this, but her husband was granted divorce. The court also ruled that Austis would have to get a special dispensation from the king of Denmark if she wanted to marry again. On the 24th of July that summer, Austis gave birth to a daughter. But who was the father? A paternity case was brought to the court on the 12th of August. There Austis swore an oath that Jonas Svensson was the father of her newly born child. Jonas, who was himself married, did not contest the oath, though he did not confirm the paternity. In the absence of outright denial, the court registered Jonas as the father. After the court case was over, Jonas went to his home, readied his scythe, and rode off to Auslaugstadir to kill Stefan Jonsson. So here is when the articles about the murder really go into speculation and gossip. Writers often assume that Stefan was in fact the father of Austis' newly born daughter. So when Austis claimed Jonas as a father, Jonas vented his anger at Stefan. I do not claim to know the truth, but I don't understand why Jonas did not just deny the paternity at court. From what I understand, it would have been rather easy. Judicial authorities were not usually on the side of women. They were, in fact, in modern parlance, slut-shamers par excellence, as we can see from the divorce proceedings. The earliest article about the murder that I could find was written in September 1852. It gives a weirdly distorted view of the events. Many details directly contradict witness testimonies. It was published in a paper in Reykjavik, and I would not be surprised if someone connected to the murderer, or his family, fed the newspaper a version of the events that was more sympathetic to the killer. This article is then obviously used as a source for later writers who sometimes embellish on it without referencing the court documents. I confess that when thinking about the case, I sometimes wonder if we could know the truth about the paternity of the child. She grew up and kept that patronym Jonas Dottir. From what I can tell, she has living descendants today. In 1852, there was no way of knowing for sure, but today we could easily do DNA tests. But when I really think about it, I don't think it matters much. Murder is murder. Even if the victim blaming was true, even if Stefan was the father. Murdering a man in front of his children is such a gruesome crime that we should not care if Stefan was a nice man or not. My great-great-grandfather lost his father before he could know him. His siblings were likely traumatized for life. The oldest was only 15 when she witnessed her father's murder. Their mother, Anna, managed to keep the farm and hold the family together, which can't have been easy. Some of the siblings who survived childhood still died rather young. One can imagine how the murder poisoned their lives. 
We should not forget that Jonas had a family of his own and his crime must also have been a shadow over their lives as well. Lastly, whether Jonas or Stefan was the father of the child, born in July of 1852, she grew up without one. That is it for today. Thanks to Vaidavon Helstar, Christopher Barth, Austin Yule, Emily Harper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgason, and all my other supporters. And, as always, special thanks to Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams, and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. I am Oling Nesti Soljason, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 35, Was Murdered.